I'm your host, GM Gersh. Alongside me is my extraordinary co-host, Kyle Weimar. This episode has been a long time coming. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, there's a lot to get to among some big sports here. A lot of big news that happened in the last week and a half. So I'm going to let Kyle get us started. Uh, the big news, something we've talked about for, oh, I don't know, the last eight weeks or so, is the baseball lockout. Uh, it turns out, as the old saying goes, the fifth deadline is the charm. Uh, I think that's the thing. That is the thing. Yeah. Uh, they finally were able to come to an agreement over the new CBA. And I'll give a quick rundown over what it was, what it looks like, and what's happened since then. So the final details of the CBA, the pre-R bonus pool we've talked about that created for players in their first and second year in, in the majors is $50 million. They're kind of going back and forth on that. And here's kind of a breakdown of what the pre-R bonus pool will look like. It's $50 million. The If one of those players wins an MVP or a Cy Young, they get $2.5 million. If they get second place in a Cy Young or MVP race, they get $1.75 million. Third place gets $1.5 million. Fourth or fifth place gets $1 million. Uh, Rookie of the year gets $750,000. Rookie of the year second place gets $500,000. If you end up on the all MLB first team, you get a million. If you end up on the all MLB second team, you get 500,000. And then the rest of the bonus pool money is based on the war. Uh, there's one special caveat to this, which is kind of a downer. Uh, that a player can only receive one bonus. So in theory, if a rookie of the year also won the MVP, they would only get the MVP because it's the larger amount. So you can't double dip on awards, which that feels a little backwards, but it is what it is. Uh, the minimum salary uh, in 2021, it was, I think it was 510,000. Uh, it's jumping up to 700,000 in 2022, followed by 720,000 the year after, 740,000 the year after that, 760,000 the year after that, and then the final of the CBA, 780,000. The collective borrowing threshold. Is up to 230 million. Last year was at 210. The owners didn't want to go above that. The players wanted it to be at like 250, 260 million. They end up selling at 230 million, and through the course of the five years, it'll end up at 244 million. So some increase there. There will be a draft lottery, six picks. So the six worst records, or for the top six picks in the draft, will be put into that. The lottery will be every team that missed the playoffs. For those who don't know how a lottery works in most sports, you don't make the playoffs, you're automatically in the lottery. What it looks like for MLB is the top three worst records all have a 16.5% chance at the number one selection. The fourth worst record has a 13.25% chance at the number one selection. The fifth seed has a, or the fifth worst record has a 10% chance at the number one pick. And it goes down from there all the way to the 18th worst record or the team that just barely missed the playoffs has a 0.23% chance at the number one pick. And so in theory, if you have the worst record, if the luck doesn't fall your way, you could conceivably fall all the way to seven, but that's as far as you could fall because there's only six spots in the lottery. That's the basics of the lottery. Uh, there will be a universal DH put into play. The amateur draft is going to stay at 20 rounds. It used to be a lot longer, then they shortened it, and then they're going to keep it at 20. 
And then one last thing is that players can now be optioned five times per year. Before it was unlimited, guys could just be thrown back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Now there is a limit of five times per year. It'll be interesting to see how people use their bullpen with that. You can't just shuffle relievers back and forth. You have to be intentional with it. And then the last thing that held up the slides was the possibility of an international draft. Right now we have international free agency, but the owners or MLB wanted the international draft. The Players Association said, we'll look into that. If they don't have an agreement by later this year, I believe it's November, I think it was, then they'll abandon the international draft and the uh, stipulation with that is if they go through with an international draft, qualifying offers will be gone. But if they decide not to do an international draft, then qualifying offers will be back on players. And so that'll make it harder for them to sign up for agency. So a little bit there to watch out for. And then one final thing is the part of the CBT. They did put a new fourth level of the CBT tax. It's rumored to be pretty high, somewhere around like 290 million or something like that. I think it was the rumored number, uh, kind of known as the Steve Cohen tax. He's, the Mets are really the only ones who are going to go above it. Uh, and then one last thing, uh, two last things I'll mention before I hand it back to Gersh. He can kind of discuss what he thinks of it. Uh, that there's some small changes with the lottery. It's not just a great lottery every year. Uh, small markets can pick in the draft lottery for two straight years before sliding to the 10th pick. So you can't just repeatedly be bad and get them one pick. Kind of prevents that. Uh, large markets can only pick one year in the lottery before sliding to 10th. So again, a little bit of tanking prevention there. And then on the service time, the top two rookie of the year voters get a full year of service. And if a team brings up a player for opening day, they can net three draft picks over time, one per year, if that player does well in voting. I don't know exactly how that works, but it's incentive for, say, the Mariners to have Julio Rodriguez on the opening day roster or the Royals of Bobby Witt instead of calling them up in May or June like we normally see. What are your thoughts on this, Gersh? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of good things that come from this uh, this CBA. I'm glad, obviously, we got it done. Um, you know, look for look for a while that, you know, it was just going to keep going and going and going. So I'm glad we finally got the resolution that we've been waiting for and baseball is finally back because, you know, it's that time of year and, you know, it was March and we weren't in spring training. So uh, I'm glad we're, I'm glad we're at, we are where we are. Uh, the draft lottery, I think is very good. And some people mind was probably worry about the draft lottery a little bit. But I kind of like how the MLB has structured theirs. It's kind of different than other sports. You know, you can't consistently be in the top whatever for, you know, consecutive years unless you're a small market. If you're a big market, you only pick once. You know, I like that they put some restrictions and rules on it. I think it's going to, uh, in the future, work out on the long run for this. It's going to incentivize some teams to spend money and not just, you know, uh, tank every year and, try to get the number one pick because it prevents that. So that's a, that's a great thing to look out for the minimum salary getting raised each year until the new CB until we get to the CBA into the CB, this current CBA is wonderful. I think 
when we get to the new CBA, we could almost probably see the league minimum be a million dollars in the next CBA, more than likely, which is awesome. Um, like you said, uh, if you call somebody up, uh, you, you, you get a reward for that. If you want to call someone up from the very beginning, like you said, Bobby Witt would be a good example for the Royals, you know, Julio Rodriguez from the Mariners, Adley from the Orioles. Uh, so I, I'm everything they tried to put in. I really like the only thing I'm really worried about, uh, that was discussed. And it's the thing that they probably had the most argument over at the last second was the international draft, because there's so much to go on with it. There's so many, um, tidbits and things that need to be worked out if it's going to work correctly. So I'm glad they kind of pushed it off. And if it doesn't end up working out, they'll just push it and we'll bring back the qualifying offers and we won't have to worry about it for now. But I think it's a good idea in a sense, but there's a lot of things that need to be discussed. And I'm glad they didn't let this hold up and drag it out. And let's say, let's push this off. We've agreed on everything else. Let's get back to baseball. We can talk about this later. I think that was very smart, but yeah, I'm excited. Baseball's back. And, you know, uh, this was, I think both sides kind of got what they wanted a little bit. I don't think really one side won big. I think the players probably could have won a little bit more, but I think both sides got a little bit what they wanted, and it was a win for both sides. Yeah, it. I, I think we're both correct and kind of not correct. I think we both said that MLB was going to start on time this year. Uh, turns out they're not starting on time. It's a week late, but they are playing a full 162. So, I don't know. I feel like we got that pretty close to correct. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, that's really exciting to have baseball back. I'm hoping the draft lottery incentivizes teams to spend. Uh, my worry is teams like say the Pirates if they don't or the Pirates or say the Guardians if they don't care about winning, they really don't care if they pick first or tenth. Whereas it might be more of an incentive for the bigger market teams because we've seen teams like say the Astros who have gotten the number one pick. They're kind of famous for tanking and turning that around, they're actually willing to spend when they get good. So they're a team that it might impact more because they're willing to spend. Correct. And I don't, I don't know if it's going to impact the teams that don't want to spend because I don't know if there's anything that will get them to spend at this point um, outside of a floor or a cap floor or a salary floor, which I don't think they want to do. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, moving on. Uh, we're going to run through some uh, signings, which can go one by one, and we can do our thoughts on them. There's quite a bit. I think this week's episode is going to be a lot of baseball. A little bit of NFL at the end, but a lot of baseball since it's been months since we've had it, and we can finally talk about it. So the first deal we're going to talk about is Carlos Rodon signed with the Giants. Two years, $44 million. He has an opt-out after year one. This deal was kind of interesting. He kind of It kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know if we heard much about Rodon to the Giants, and then just kind of happened. Yeah. And so, personally, I think it's a great deal for both sides uh, for two reasons. Rodon's a really good pitcher. He showed that last year. His problem has always been health. And so, he gets paid minimum $44 million over two years. So, that's Rodon getting paid. But then the Giants are also a little secure on this because they're not locked in to stay in seven or eight-year deal with him. Worst case, two years, if he's injured, doesn't perform, they're done. 
I think it's a really unique deal. And I think moving from Chicago, where home runs can happen quite easily, to San Francisco, where home runs are hard to come by, is going to be a really big boon for his already uh, good uh, performance. So what are your thoughts on Rodon to the Giants? Yeah, I think it's a, a great fit. And, you know, you kind of talked about the contract structure. You know, it's probably a little bit, I think, got him for a little bit of a steal the Giants did with that price because he definitely could have gotten a lot bigger deal, probably a couple more years, a little bit more money. I kind of wondered if uh, he kind of wanted to be there and was willing to kind of take a little bit of a, a decrease to go to San Francisco because their winning window is now, I believe. I mean, they kind of surprised some people last year of how they, uh, of how they won, but um, I think they're going to be competing this year in the NL West and uh, Rodon definitely helps uh, increase their chances of competing with the Dodgers in the division. Yeah, it certainly does. Well, I'm not going to jump to one of their rivals in their own division, a team that maybe not needed the help, but got some help, and that's Clayton Kershaw re-signed with the Dodgers. He signed for one year, $17 million. This was a deal that I know other people thought maybe Kershaw would go home to Texas or maybe the Angels who need pitching help, but I always felt like it was kind of a foregone conclusion he was returning to the Dodgers. I don't know if you felt that way, but I just couldn't picture – first shot not in a Dodgers jersey yeah I think um you know it's kind of one of those players you know if it's it would be weird to see him in a different uniform I think all along the plan was a return to Los Angeles but to entertain Texas I don't think any of the other teams were ever entertained correctly by or professionally not professionally but in a serious manner other than those two. I think if he was going to leave Los Angeles, it would only have been for Texas. And I still think Texas might be – I mean, they they, they spent, uh, spent a lot of money this offseason and, you know, they're trying to win. I think they're still a couple pieces away. So I don't know if uh, Clayton didn't want to go into that. But I definitely think uh, Clayton could move there in the future. But I think uh, him returning to the Dodgers was the number one thought in his mind. And if he was leave, it was going to be Texas, but ultimately he returns back to the Dodger where he more than likely will probably end his career. But if he was to go anywhere else, I do believe it would be the Texas Rangers. And I think Kershaw is a guy who's probably going to sign a lot of deals like this for the rest of his career. Yeah. You see guys like Scherzer get a three-year deal. I think Verlander got a two-year deal where – Kershaw signed a one-year deal. He's only 34, so he's even younger than all those guys. But with all the injuries he's had, I think unless he can come out this year and throw 200 innings spotless, which I don't think is likely, regardless of how healthy he is, I think he's probably going to be on these higher-value short-term contracts for the remainder of his career. Yeah, I like how um, I think you will see a lot of one-year contracts from him because – he can make up to like 23, 24 in the contract with a lot of incentives. So he can prove himself each year and make, you know, what he could in a three-year deal if he really wanted to sign a three-year deal. You know what I mean? So, I, you know, if he reaches a certain amount of innings, gets some Cy Young votes, I think he'll just consistently try to prove himself each year and make more than what, you know, the base is on that salary. And I like to say that 
there's no such thing as a bad one-year deal in sports. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's not completely true. But one-year deals are really easy to move, get off of, the done after the year. So that's why you see a guy like Kershaw still big a lot of money for one year. Speaking of another one-year deal, we're going to move on to another team. We're going to move on to the Cubs. They signed Anderson Simmons, the defensive wizard, to a one-year, $4 million deal. Now, this is an interesting one. They were rumored to be in on Carlos Correa. I, I would assume... I, I don't think this completely takes them out of that. Because I don't think you let Anderson Simmons stop you from signing Correa, per se. But... It's an interesting move. He has had a pretty bad last year in terms of hitting. He had a 57 OPS plus, easily the worst of his career. So at this point, he's basically all glove unless he can rebound from that, which going into the age 32 season is a little bit more dicey than maybe it would have been. What are your thoughts on Simmons to the Cubs? Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting move. Um, I I'm fully agree that it wouldn't necessarily take them out of a running of a Trevor Story or a uh, Carlos Correa, so to say, because it's Anderson Simmons. It's not like they you know got a someone else that's more more um, more sturdy there at shortstop. But I mean the Cubs are in a unique position. I mean the rest. I mean outside of the Cardinals and the Brewers. The rest of the division, they're kind of in the middle because the Pirates and Reds we've seen are not trying to win, clearly. So the Cubs, are think, I think, are kind of in an interesting spot with that, with that extra uh, postseason team now uh, that they're kind of on the fence on, I think, what they want to kind of do because they kind of they lost you know, their, their franchise pieces in Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez. But, you know, they still got some decent pitching. The offense is kind of – Kind of skeptical, but I think they're in a unique spot to try to try to win some more. But I don't know. I I think it's an okay signing, you know, not blow, blow your mind signing, but they could still definitely add some more, and we'll see if they do. For sure. Right, move on to a deal. This is a deal I thought was intriguing. It's a deal I like. I kind of wish my team would have done this, but you say Kikuchi signed with the Blue Jays. A three-year, $36 million deal. I think it's a good fit for him because he gets to slide into that rotation around guys like Kevin Gossman, Hinjin Ryu, Jose Barrios, Alex Manoa. So he's not going to be counting on as the ace of that staff. He can just kind of pitch in the background. He had a fascinating year last year where he was really good in the first half to the tune of a 3-4-8 ERA. And then the second half, it ballooned up to a 5-9-8 ERA. So, if, if they can find a way to get the first half of Kikuchi, I think three years, $36 million is a great deal for um, him. Yeah, I think this is a wonderful deal uh, because you kind of hit on what I was going to say. Um, he's ba- I would say he's the five in the rotation. I, I would definitely think Manoa is the four if you want to classify them. So, Kikuchi not having a lot of pressure on him and not being, you know, the one or the two guy trying to prove himself each year and say, hey, we need you to be the ace of this town. No, you just got to be, you know, you're the back end of the rotation. You just got to be serviceable. That contract's really friendly. I like the deal for the Blue Jays. Great rotation, I think. Um, Bullpen's probably a little skeptical. Uh, offense is wonderful in Toronto. I mean, this team, this team's got 
the the sky's the limit for this team this year. So I like the deal for Kikuchi. Yeah, it's too fun to watch that team. Hopefully slide into a playoff road this year, especially with the expanded playoffs. But that's one thing we forgot to mention in the CBA talks. The playoffs are expanded to 12 teams instead of 10. There's talks them going to 14, but we stayed with 12, which is expanded from what we've had in the past. Figured out to slip button in there. We forgot to, talk. We forgot to mention that. And now we're going to talk about a couple of bullpen moves. I think a couple of these are intriguing. A couple of them are bullpen guys. The first one is Jerry Smelia signed with the Phillies, a one-year deal for $6 million. I believe he can earn up to $7 million in incentives, but the base was one year, $6 million. And I think this is a solid fit. He's a guy that he's a reliever. They have good years. They have bad years. You never know which one you're going to get. Are you going to get good familiar? Are you going to get bad familiar? But the Phillies bullpen needs all the help they can get. So signing Anybody that has a pulse is probably a good idea out there. But, for example, last three years, his ERA, 5.7, 3.7, 3.9. So anywhere from good to really bad. And that's just kind of the nature of relievers. But, yeah, what do you think of Jersey Miller to the Phillies? Yeah, um, the Phillies need bullpen help to save their lives. I mean, I mean, it was time to move on, really, in that back half from Hector Neris that they've been rolling with. You know, the Phillies, I think, for two years in a row now, have led the league in blown saves. They need some consistency back there. Um, they kind of got a nice little four, I would say. Uh, I, I love Familia being there. I mean, he's familiar with uh, that division. Um, so I don't think he'll have any uh, problem uh, adjusting to Philadelphia. But really, that four there that you got Alvarado, Canable, Familia, and Brad Hand. I think, uh, you know, you got two people on the left side, two great people on the right side. Uh, that's a nice four to have. I think, uh, you know, the rest of the four is probably a little more uh, skeptical, and their back half of the rotation's a little bit kind of skeptical. But this Phillies team's kind of been on the fence. You would think uh, they would have already made the playoffs the one of the last years with Joe Girardi, and they just haven't made that last inch push. And I think it's going to be even a little bit tougher now with how the Mets uh, uh, spent some money this off season and with the Braves being good again, and the nationals trying to compete. So this is going to be a fun division. Uh, I still think the Phillies are not on the levels as other two, maybe on the same level with the nationals, but uh, they, this does improve their bullpen, which is what they needed. And uh, it's better than rolling with Hector Neris and the misfits. Yeah, I think we've been talking about the Phillies competing in that division for a while. And that division being exciting in general, and it just hasn't been. So hopefully this is the year it finally can be. Yeah. But move, moving on to another uh, signing, we'll just stay in that division. The Mets signed Adam Ondovino to a one-year $4 million deal. And again, he is – it kind of shows the nature of relievers, the volatility of them. Uh the last three years, well, the last four years, or we'll go five just for the full scope. Uh, five years ago, he had a 506 ERA, then a 243, then a 190, and then 589, and then 421. So y- you just don't know what you're going to get from relievers. And I mean, I like Ottavino, I like his stuff. He is 30 now 
so he's getting up there in age, but that's typically fine still for bullpen guys. It's an interesting signing. I like it. Four million's not, you know, a very high price tag. If he doesn't perform well, you can just get rid of him. That's the nice thing about not committing a lot of money to relievers. That's one spot I hate putting a lot of money into, which we'll talk about in a second. But what are your thoughts on Adovino? Yeah, I like this deal. I mean, getting him out of the AL East, I think, helps tremendously, which I say with almost any pitcher, getting out of the AL East helps tremendously. But this is going to be a really – this is an offense-heavy division. There's a lot of big names in this division. So, I do like this bullpen, though. I mean, Adovino is going to slot right in, I think, be the seventh or eighth inning guy with uh, Trevor May. Diaz closing up the back half. you got Lugo there. And – uh, Trevor Williams. I think this is a great bullpen. Obviously, this team is pretty good. It's looking pretty good on paper. Hopefully, the Mets. This is the year they they get uh, back to the playoffs, and um, they got the. I mean, they got they got all the talent to do it. So I like this move for the Mets. Next deal, we had Nick Whitgren signed to the Cardinals. I believe it was one year, one point two million. Grish, I'll let you take this one since you're a Cardinals fan. You can't talk about what you think Nick Whitgren brings to the staff. Yeah, uh, Nick Whitgren uh, is an interesting signing, but I I think there was times where he was very productive last year and then times where he's not. I definitely think uh, we're going to fix uh, something very first with him. Uh, there was one pitch he threw a ton that was not very effective, and I believe it was a sinker. And uh, so we can get rid of that pitch. His curveball is nasty, and that's what he's going to be there for, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's his knockout pitch and uh, a high swing rate on it, and it's going to be awesome to see. Him, that curveball and that slider, pretty much probably all he's going to throw, maybe his four-seamer once in a while. But I like this. Uh, bullpen really coming wrong for St. Louis. So um, I like this bullpen. He's a nice death piece there because he's definitely not going to be somebody you see in the back half for sure. But he's going to be a nice guy to get some swing and misses on his off-speed and his um, his movement on his pitches. So I like this deal for the Cardinals. And it's a low-risk, uh, low-risk, high-reward. Are you trying to tell me that the changeup that he threw 235 times last year that people hit 311 off of isn't okay. a good pitch? Okay, it was a changeup. I knew it was one of those pitches. I couldn't remember which one. But, yeah, yes. Fastball was really good last year. His, the cha- his play, the- he threw his changeup the second most of any pitch. No, they hit 311 off of it with a nearly 500 slug. So. Yeah. So uh, get rid of the changeup, Nick, and we'll be yeah, friends. Yeah, not great. You can go fastball slider or fastball cutter or fastball something. Fastball is really good, which is interesting considering it's not that fast. But, yeah, it's always fun to see what teams who know pitching can do with guys like that. Granted, pitching is not as easy as take away pitch, add pitch. But a lot of times, I think you can spot areas that room for improvement. Correct. Uh, our second to last reliever deal that we're going to talk about is Brad Boxberger to the Brewers. Uh, one year, $2.5 million. And then I'll, I'll couple this with another move. The Brewers are active somewhere else as well, signing Andrew McCutcheon as, to that outfield, or possibly DH. Although I think Yelich is probably going to take that. I guess it depends on how his back is between Yelich and McCutcheon, who DH is to put us in the field. What are your thoughts on the division rival Brewers? Uh, yeah, uh, this uh, I like the Brad Boxberger deal. I mean, obviously, uh, 
that bullpen's interesting. And anytime Milwaukee signs a reliever or signs a pitcher, let's just say that, uh, they're going to find a way to have him uh, be effective, I think, because they're one of those they're one of those organizations that knows pitching very well and will fix a lot of people. So I like this deal for Milwaukee. And uh, picking back and off that with McCutcheon, um, it is going to be interesting to see what they do. I think I think they'll start with Yelich in the field, unless his back unless his back is not fully healthy, or if they don't want to take that risk. But I do think they'll start with Yelich in the field. But even I think maybe even thirty six year old almost Andrew McCutcheon, it might still be a better fielder than thirty year old Christian Yelich because that's just how bad Christian Yelich is in the outfield. Uh, so. Y- Either way, I think they can't go wrong with who they really DH or put in left. Uh, but I like this. Uh, this team's kind of coming along real nice for the Brewers. Definitely uh, going to finish first or second in this division. Going to be very competitive uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals. So this is a this is a nice little squad they got going on. And David Stern's always always getting some good deals and some good signings and always training for some good pieces. For sure. If for those listening, if you ever have any questions about a player one of the sites i like to look at is baseball savant i think it tells you a lot about players and there's a nice little thing that has mlb percentile rankings and it's either red or blue you like to see red red is good that means they rank high in categories and if you happen to check out brad boxberger he's red in a lot of areas and that's i think bad news for teams in the central once milwaukee gets his hands on them because, as you said, Milwaukee kind of brings out the best in players. Yes. So if there's more there for Boxberger, I think that's a really good sign. I think it's a good signing. And, again, $1.5 is not a lot of money. It's a cheap little deal. He goes back to where he's comfortable. He's pitched in Milwaukee before. I think it's a good signing. Uh, on to Andrew McCutcheon. He actually finished top 20 last year in walks in the majors. So that he still has that skill set. And looking at his baseball savant page, I did not realize that 35-year-old Andrew McCutcheon was in the 89th percentile for sprint speed. Yeah, that's still pretty, that's still impressive for his age. I mean, he's always been athletic and very volatile, not volatile, very versatile in the outfield. So that's still impressive, you know. Yeah, so that's that's cool to see. Uh, so I would think I would agree with you. I think Andrew McCutcheon, personally, I would start with him in the field. I don't think there's a great option with Yellich or McCutcheon, but one of them has to because you only get one DH. So can't play both of them in the field or both of them at DH. So we'll see what they do. I assume McCutcheon's going to get a full time role. Yeah, I would. I I would expect unless he just struggles. I would definitely expect he gets a full time role there. Yeah, you'd have to assume so, but. You never know. Weirder things have happened. Depends what happens the rest of the offseason. Now, speaking of DHs, this one kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, Nelson Cruz signed a one-year deal with the Nationals. Uh, he's guaranteed $15 million. I believe it's something along the lines of 12 or $13 million for the first year, plus an option year. And if they decline the option, he gets the additional million to get up to $15 million. But essentially, it's a one-year deal with an option for the second year. But I don't think we heard any rumors of Nelson Cruz to the Nationals. I know we heard Dodgers, Padres, usually contending teams for Nelson Cruz. At least to me, 
the Nationals came out of nowhere here. Yeah, I think this is a great deal for the Nationals because you protect Soto because, I mean, Soto's already going to walk a million times this year. He's going to push a 460 OBP, and that's insane for a 23-year-old. Uh, but when you walk him and you had, if you, you walk him and you had to face Nelson Cruz, that's not much better, even though Nelson Cruz is almost 42. I mean, this is insane. I love Nelson Cruz. I love that um, he's kept this uh, longevity up for a long time. Um, and it's awesome to see someone that at this at this age still be so productive. I think this interesting team, the Nationals, um, their offense is kind of kind of unique. I think they can be very productive offensively because there's a lot of youth, but there's also like Bell and uh, Cruz being there, and her, uh, Cesar Hernandez. That's some, there's some veteran it, uh, veteranship there. Uh, the only thing I don't like about the Nationals kind of rolling into the season, I don't know what they're thinking about rolling into the season with Alcides Escobar being their shortstop. That I'm kind of skeptical of that. Uh, I thought they would might be one of the guys that would be in, like on uh, Jose Iglesias, someone like that, because to me that's still better than Escobar. But uh, I think this national team could surprise some people that have been in LA. So I think a lot of people don't think they're going to be that good. Uh, to say, but I think they could be. So this is awesome. I'm glad Nelson Cruz is there, and I love Nelson. I'm glad he's uh, finding a spot in the National League, I guess, as DH. It's awesome. Yeah, I think one thing, you mentioned Elcides Escobar is short, and he's 35 years old. He's probably not going to be great there, if I had to guess. And I think one thing in regards to that, there's a lot of teams that seem to need to stuff help this offseason, and I can't help but wonder if maybe a guy like Freddie Galvis would have been their preferred option, and then he decided to sign in Japan. Yeah, you see, same thing with like the Simmons, the Iglesias, the Galvis. Those kind of all fall into the same category to me of good defenders. Not much with the bats, although I think Galvis has the highest upside with the bats among those players. But yeah, it's an interesting national team for sure. I love Nelson Cruz. I think it's great to have him behind Juan Soto. And I guess you do have Josh Bell behind Nelson Cruz. He can't just simply walk Soto Cruz every time. Yeah, switch hitter and and Josh Bell is awesome right there behind him as well. He had a bounce back here last year. So I don't know if people realize how good Josh Bell was last year. But he was pretty good. So it's good to see that. Uh, One more signing. I just mentioned him, but Jose Iglesias signed a one-year deal for the Rockies. It's, I, I saw some people online. I, I don't know if they were joking, but they were saying that this closes the Trevor Story reunion um, as if there was ever going to be one. Yeah. I think there, that was any chance of that happening. So it's yeah, kind of I funny agree. that people were mentioning that. But yeah, he's going to be their shortstop this year. Once again, they blocked the path for Brendan Rodgers or Garrett Hampson at short. Typical of the Rockies. Uh, don't play your young guys in the last season. They have to bring in more veterans to block their way. But what are your thoughts on Jose Glaces and some other news about the Rockies possibly? Yeah, uh, I think uh, obviously you're not going to replace what Trevor Story did in Colorado. Uh, he was, ne- I mean, Trevor Story was never coming back to the Rockies. That was never an option, more than likely. Uh, but Iglesias is nice there. I think he still can be productive and maybe uh, – 
you never know what Colorado can do for your career a little bit. It could boost him a little bit uh, statistically, uh, which isn't a bad thing. It's a more more of a good thing. Um, so I like this deal for the Rockies. I mean, the team's kind of interesting. I mean, you're probably going to have Charlie Blackman DHing, um, which is probably good for him because I think he's going to age well now that he could DH and stay productive offensively. Uh, Crone, nice, nice power bat. Uh, uh, Ryan McMahon, uh, I love. Uh, there are missing, uh, they're missing, uh, an outfielder, I think, on this squad because I don't think you want to roll in the season with Connor Joe being your left fielder. I like Toppy and Hillier being in center and right. So uh, with around the diamond with Crone at first, Brendan at second, uh, McMahon at third, and now Iglesias at short, uh, there's been some rumors out there that the Rockies are very aggressively pursuing um, Chris Bryant. And I think that's very intriguing. I mean, it's it's interesting that the Rockies want to spend anyways, but for Chris Bryant to go to the Rockies would just be fun in general because I love I love Chris Bryant and I'm a Cardinals fan, which is kind of surprising for probably some people to hear. He's my favorite player that's not in St. Louis. But Chris Bryant going to the Rockies on a long-term deal would be fun to see and to see him probably play left field more than likely his first year there at least and how uh, versatile he is because he can move around all over the place I think would be fun just to see Chris Bryant in this division and be in a Rockies uniform and also it gets it gets the Rockies a franchise piece back you know they lost Trevor Story they're, I mean they're losing Trevor Story now they traded Nolan Arenado away I mean all that's really left is Charlie Blackman from their, you know, their kind of Rockies childhood or Rockies like Rockies written all over him. And he, he's approaching age 36. So, you know, his career's uh, d- uh, winding down a little bit. So to get a franchise player that will sell tickets, people will come out and watch. I think Chris Bryant would be awesome for that. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Cause he would assume with the year he had last year. I mean, he was playing well in Chicago. He didn't play as well in San Francisco when he got there. But you would assume there would be a big market for him. And we've heard a lot of rumors prior to the lockout. Whether it was the Mariners, whether it was the Phillies, whether it was the Astros. There's a lot of different teams that were, like, rumored possibly for Brian. And now we sit here a couple of times after the lockout has ended. And it feels like the Rockies are the only team that aggressively want him which I think is really interesting. He's a good player. And mm-hmm. It's just weird that you don't hear him rumored to more teams. Granted, as we've seen with some of these deals, you don't have to be rumored to a player to sign him. Those can come out of nowhere sometimes. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Chris Bryant does, where he signs, because you wouldn't think he'd want to sit through a Rockies rebuild, but I guess money talks. You know, If they offer him a seven-year deal worth a lot of money that might be hard too hard to pass over uh moving on to the final signings we're going to group these two together just because i think they belong together and their teammates so that helps uh but that is joe kelly to the white Sox on a two-year deal and josh harrison to the white Sox on a one-year deal now this the Joe Kelly deal, especially to me, was confusing because here's who the White Sox have coming out of the bullpen on the right side Liam Hendricks, Craig Kimbrell, Kendall Graveman, 
Joe Kelly. That feels a little bit like overkill, especially spending free agent money on Joe Kelly. And then to add on to that, uh, adding on Josh Harrison, he he's older. You know, he's not exactly a young guy. He's about to be 35. For one year, 5.5 million. He's a solid utility guy. But when either Josh Harrison or Larry Garcia are your starting second baseman and Adam Engel is your starting right fielder, that feels like a bad use of resources, in my opinion. Especially, I think a guy like Michael Conforto would be a perfect fit on the White Sox. You put him in right field, their lineup's pretty heavy towards right-handed hitters, put a lefty in that lineup. I think that'd be a great fit for him. But instead, you see Joe Kelly, Josh Harrison. And with the White Sox currently having the fifth highest 2022 payroll, I can't imagine there's much more to be spent there. I know they want to trade Craig Kimbrell, but I don't know how big the market is going to be for a reliever that's making $16 million this year. So we'll see what they do there, but that, that's my thoughts on the White Sox. It's just they're really doubling down on the bullpen, which is the most volatile position in baseball. And it's, to, to me, it's questionable use of resources again, especially after what we saw last year. Yeah, I uh, I personally think this is uh, not a good deal. <laughs> I mean, he is uh, he's very he had a very great year. I, I'll take nothing away from Joe Kelly, but like you said. You double, triple, or quadruple down on these relievers, it's never a good thing because, like you said, they're always so volatile. And they're like, um, you just never know what to expect because one year you could be, you know, the best reliever in baseball, and the next you could be terrible. So I don't like that they're doubling and tripling down. It's kind of questioning when I think they could add a number of places, like you said. I think Michael Conforto would have been perfect as well, but I think maybe a little bit too much money. But I don't like Josh Harrison either. It makes no sense to me. I mean, yeah, he's a nice utility guy, but he doesn't solve uh, doesn't solve a lot of problems for me. Uh, Larry Garcia should be starting at second. If I don't, I don't. Josh Harrison shouldn't be starting there. Uh, I mean, they could have Nick Magical if they traded him for you know Craig Kimbrell. Uh, Nick Magical would be much better than all their options at second right now, and they don't have them anymore. Um, personally, I would uh, not sign Joe Kelly if I was in charge. I think a lot of that pressure to sign another reliever was Tony the Russa, pressuring the front office to get him another reliever because Tony the Russa loves relievers, and he loves power relievers, and he wants a lot of options coming out of the pen. And I think that's just that old-school mentality, that, and he got what he wanted. Um, but I think what the – what I would have done with the White Sox, I wouldn't have signed Josh Harrison and I wouldn't have signed um, Joe Kelly. I would have rolled with what the bullpen was. I would have rolled with Larry Garcia. But I would have – whatever you want to do with Gavin Sheets, I, I would have got rid of Gavin Sheets. I don't think he's – he's not, never going to find some time there. Give him a spot – Trade him somewhere where he's going to get some playing time because he's major league ready, but he's never going to get it here in uh, Chicago. So if I was the White Sox, uh, I don't like the idea of Adam Engel being out there. So I would have probably signed someone like uh, 
Eddie Rosario or uh, um, Jock Peterson, I think, would have been very perfect in this lineup. Honestly, Jock Peterson probably would have been a little bit more than Eddie Rosario. But also, I think it would have been intriguing to, you know, Jock isn't going to cost much, or maybe like a one-year, $8 million deal. But then I would have intrigued about adding Kyle Schwarber to be your DH. I think adding – they need some lefties, and adding them two would have been a much bigger help than adding Josh Harrison and adding Joe Kelly because I think that was a bigger need than adding Joe Kelly and Josh Harrison. I'll disagree with you on this point. I, here's what I would have done if I was the White Sox. You talked about Gavin Sheets, how he might not have a spot there. Uh, he's a first base plus DH. What do you think it would take added to Gavin Sheets to trade for, say, a Mitch Hanniger? I mean, it would have been – it would be interesting. Um, I don't know because what the cost would have been. They – the Mariners have plenty of outfielders or outfield-type guys. Hanniger could be expendable. I know he's a fan favorite there. So maybe that prevents it. Uh, but I think a use like that would be a lot better than – running out Adam Engel, and I, I disagree with you on the Schwarber as a DH, simply because I think Andrew Vaughn should be playing every day. I think he's a perfectly fine run him out as DH every day, since he's not to play first base with the Bray there. And I don't know if you want Andrew Vaughn in right field. Yeah, you, you definitely. Cornell field flanked by Eloy Jimenez and Andrew Vaughn. I don't think you want that. So, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. If you're if if you're not gonna play Andrew Vaughn, I he doesn't need to be in the outfield. But if he's gonna make the big league club, which he should, I mean he's major league ready too. He needs to be DHing because he deserves the bats. And he, I mean he's a top three pick for a reason. You gotta show some faith in him. And Abreu's gonna be there for a while. And maybe in the future Abreu uh, does move to DH and you get to move Andrew Vaughn to play first every day. But that's more down the line. But I don't like these White Sox fans kind of throwing Andrew Vaughn to the side because, I mean, he's a round one pick three for a reason, and he's amazing. And I've, I've always been a big fan of Andrew Vaughn. You definitely, like you said, do not want him in the outfield. And he's a much better option than DH than Gavin Sheets. And the nice thing for the White Sox is, as of now, they're pretty comfortably penciled in to win the AL Central, so they don't have to worry about all this stuff. But some of these moves – might end up hurting them when it comes to the playoffs. Because I don't know if the bottom third of your lineup of, of Gavin Sheets, Adam Angle, Larry Garcia is going to strike fear into, you know, the Yankees, Astros, etc. So, and I just don't think they have much cap room left to expand on this. So either turn Kimberlin into something or hope and pray that, you know, Adam Angle is great. So that's the end of our free agency. I'm sure next week's episode, there'll be more. There's still a lot of guys have signed. Uh, we're going to move on to some trades. It's been quite the sensation with trades so far. I, I can say as a Twins fan, I've basically <laughs> w- woken up on back-to-back days of, hey, there's been a trade, and then joked about an- at another point, and that trade was made like three seconds later. Um. So we're going to run through those quick. I'll start with the Twins just because they've been involved with three trades. So it's probably just easy to put them all into one for people listening. It, it started off with Mitch Garver for a two-package deal for Isaiah Kainafalafa and Ronnie Henriquez. 
Uh, Ronnie Henriquez spotted in CoinMLB.com as the Twins' 19th best prospect. So essentially, he was the difference according to these two teams between Mitch Garver and Isaiah Kainer-Falefa, which makes sense how they got to that conclusion. I think this trade was interesting because it fit a need with a need. The Rangers didn't need Isaiah Kainer-Falefa since they signed Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, but they needed a catcher. A la Mitch Garver. The Twins don't have a shortstop because they want to keep Jorge Polanco in second. And they have some catchers they felt comfortable with, so giving up Mitch Garver for a shortstop made sense. Now, that was the first trade. Then the second day, or the next day, the Twins traded Chase Petty for Sonny Gray. Chase Petty was the Twins' first-round pick in 2021 for Sonny Gray, who has one year left for $10 million, and then a team option for $12 million the following year, so essentially two years of Sonny Gray for a 19-year-old recently graduated high school arm. Uh, Chase Petty slotted in as the four spot for the Reds on their top 30 prospects, so that's pretty good. I, I believe he moved on to fifth after another move that we'll talk about shortly, but he traded for a top five prospect some looks good on the surface. My only concern is high school arms are notoriously risky. You have to develop them all the way through the minors, which can be tough. And I've seen some concerns about Chase Petty sticking as a starter, which if that's the case, if you traded two years of Sunny Gray for a bullpen arm in six years, that's a little concerning. But the final Twins trade and this is probably the one that has been the most confusing to most people. As I mentioned, the Twins just got Isaiah Kainer-Falefa. He was going to be their starting shortstop. They don't have one. Uh, the Twins turned around and traded Isaiah Kainer-Falefa. Nearly 36 hours after he got there, they traded Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa, and Ben Rordvet to the Yankees for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. This is a weird trade because the Twins basically don't have a shortstop again. And they also, I guess, have Gary Sanchez as a backup catcher slash DH. If the Twins use him as a strict DH, I'm perfectly fine with that. I think he'd be a perfectly fine DH. But you don't ever want him behind the plate. And the Twins, by trading Garver and Ordbet on in one weekend, kind of decimated all of their catching depth behind Ryan Jeffers. So that's an interesting choice. Along with the Yankees decided to take on all of Josh Dawson's contract. It's like two years, somewhere around $50 million total with the two years plus the option for the next year. So that's interesting. And it was the biggest free agent signing in Twins history. That kind of tells you the difference between the Twins and the Yankees, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, the Twins make a lot of moves. I, I uh, well, Let me start with Sonny Gray for a second. Uh, I've loved the move for Sonny Gray. I think he could very well uh, be kind of sneaky good and not be talked about uh, in Minnesota. I think that market fits him very well because um, – 
it's not like it's like, you know, we saw him struggle in New York. He really settled back down in Cincinnati, but I think it's the same way with Minnesota, Minnesota. Um, he's just going to settle right in. He's not going to have to worry about a lot and he can be uh, the, the best pitcher we know he can be each year. And um, I like the move. I really do. I, and like you said, Chase Petty, uh, a great high school arm. There's a lot of ifs with him. Um, and one thing, like you said, he could end up moving to the bullpen, which would not be good for the Reds in any any scenario here. But um, the other thing I really didn't like, you also got to see where he's going. The Reds are not very good at developing arms. They're, they're, they're pretty decent on the offensive side of things on developing some bats, but they struggle with developing arms and uh, messing – no, I wouldn't say messing. Uh, not doing, not making the right decisions on some pitchers and their decisions and costing them on some pitchers. So I don't know how I feel about Chase Petty going to that organization. Uh, Mitch Garver getting moved to uh, Texas. I love it for Mitch Garver. Uh, it's kind of confusing to me. Uh, if I was a Twins fan, obviously moving on from Mitch Garver. Uh, but I like Mitch Garver in Texas. That's a very good get for them because that was another offense boost. Now they got Seager, Simeon. And Mitch Garver, I little I like that little three man punch there. Um, so the Rangers kind of getting a little bit better, and I like to hopefully see them competing here soon in the future. Uh, with uh, what the Twins got back, um, and then flipped them, <laughs> flipped IFK. Uh, that's interesting. Um, but IFK and Donaldson going to New York. Uh, uh, I think it was beneficial for the uh, for the Twins because they got rid of Donaldson's contract. It was kind of confusing because now they don't have a shortstop again. But they got Gary Sanchez. And like you said, I'm full in agreement as well that uh, I'm perfectly fine if the Twins want to use Gary Sanchez as a full-time DH. I just don't want him to split time with, at the catcher. I don't think that's the right option there. But also this o- opens the door for uh, the potentially the Twins to still be in the shortstop market, obviously. Uh, potentially for someone like Trevor Story. I don't think they would be in that Korea market, but Trevor Story is very, uh, very eyeball for the Twins. I think it's a, it's a perfect fit. And then you obviously got Urshela. I think, you know, he'll fit in nice at third. Uh, Polanco down at second. I mean, it's a nice little team the Twins got going on, but I think it will make a lot more sense if they do get a Trevor Story, what they did with flipping IFK and opening up some money and uh, cap room for, for a big signing like that. Correct. The Garver and Sanchez moves are weird because, as I said, the Twins kind of got rid of all their pitcher depth in these trades. And the Garver move itself isn't surprising because the team trusts Ryan Jeffers and he's like eight years younger than Garver and he's kind of a clone of Mitch Garver, so that makes sense. Moving on there, I just figured it would be for more pitching as opposed to a defensive shortstop. Yeah, but moving Donaldson basically clears fifty million cap space for the next two years, two or three years. Right now, the Twins are roughly sixty-ish million below where they have been the past two years. So, they have a lot of money to spend, and I think they want to compete, or else you don't trade for Sonny Gray. Correct. So, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the coming weeks because I think there's more moves to be made. With the Twins. Speaking of moves, we'll go to another team that's made two trades. 
and that is the Oakland A's. Kind of unfortunate uh, for their fans of these trades, but I think you could take the positive out of them as well. The first trade the A's made was Chris Bassett. It's kind of the trade that kicked things off uh, of the offseason. For JT Ginn and Adam Aller, uh, Ginn slots in as the A's fourth best prospect at the time of the trade. Aller was the 19th best prospect. Aller is 27, so not much of a prospect there, but it shows you how kind of shallow Oakland's system is when he's the top 20 guy, but people say he could slot in perfectly fine as the number five starter there now. It'd be interesting. Whereas Ginn has more upside for one year. Chris Bassett, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, Aller's a former rule of five pick. I look at, I mean, yeah, he might fit into the rotation this year, but he's about to play about the only team in the majors he would fit into a rotation. So I like more as, as Bassett for uh, Ginn, just kind of a one-for-one, one, which isn't bad at all. I mean, Bassett obviously doesn't fit in the plane anymore. The A's are in full sell mode. Uh, I like just getting Ginn for this because um, – I like the A's developing arms a little bit. I think they do a, a terrific job at it, really, honestly. Um, so, uh, again, being in this system, I think we'll be fine. Uh, and uh, he's got the potential to be a little bit better than Chris Bassett, so I think it's a win. Um, the thing with Ginn, he's just got to stay healthy. He's kind of had a bad health resume going back to his college days. So as long as he can stay healthy, I think he's already had Tommy John twice in his life, once in high school and once in college. So that could you could take that as a benefit, a benefit, I guess, because you don't usually see someone get it a third time. But you usually also don't see someone get it as young as in high school. So um, I think it's a good move. I really do, and it fits in with the A's more longer term with JT again. And here's a stat for you. I think. This move's good for the A's because I don't think Chris Bassett's going to be as good leaving the A's. Since 2019, he's giving up 42 home runs. Uh, 11 have been at home in Oakland, 31 on the road. That's a a big number that sticks out there. Yeah, Oakland has a really forgiving home park for home runs. So I think going to a different ballpark at home, for one year, it could be pretty risky. Granted, Bassett's probably going to spot in. It's like the three, four in that rotation. So it's not as much pressure on him. But I think it's a good return for the A's. And the second one kind of came out of nowhere for me. Uh, I should say out of nowhere. I expected the Freddie Freeman deal to be first. The first domino in this. But Mandelson was traded to the Braves in return for Shea Langoliers. Outfielder Christian Peche, and then pitchers Ryan Kustik and Joey Estes. Uh, now, here's where they slot. Uh, Shea Langoliers slots in as the second best prospect in open system. Peche at three, Kustik at seven, and Estes at 14 for two years of Matt Olson. What are your thoughts on this particular trade? Yeah, I love this deal for Oakland. I'll start with the Oakland side of things. Um, Kusick, uh is awesome. He's six six. He's big. He's strong. He throws. He's reached one hundred two before ninety eight, ninety nine. He's racist with the fastball. Great breaking action on a slider. I love this kid. This is awesome. And like I said, Oakland very good at developing arms. The Braves are too. So I think going to the Oakland system, great, great, um, great transition. Same with Estes, but they're totally, totally different pitchers. Estes is a 
very small, kind of around Strowman's Marcus Stroman size and kind of that type of pitch or fastball sits around 93, 94. It's got a lot more movement. Uh, so, and it has a very nice changeup. So I like that they got two totally different type of pitchers, but also great system there. So those two will transition fine. Getting Shea Langlayers, it's an awesome steal because I don't think they're going to hold on to Sean Murphy. They might enter the season with Sean Murphy, but maybe next offseason they move on from him. I've, I'm in the total belief that even Sean Murphy is going to be moved from the A's. So Shane Langlayers, he's kind of in that AAA stand where if they do keep Murphy one more year, get Shea another year at, at AAA would be awesome. But I think Shea could also be fine if he slotted into the starting catcher role because now uh, their number one prospect is Tyler Soderstrom. He's not going to play catcher. He's going to move to first and replace Matt Olson. And he's probably a year away too, but he could potentially break camp now. So that's a nice one-two at catcher if you can get it. Um, so I love this with Langley Ayers being in Oakland. And um, who's the other Who's the other player in this? Oh, Pache. Uh, Pache is uh, – I really wish they would have got Drew Waters instead because Drew Waters can hit. Christian Pache is an Oakland A kind of meta guy. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Ramon Laureano, but not as well with the bat. Great defender, though. Unreal glove. Could be, you know, one of those uh, kind of Kevin Kiermeyer type, just from the just from the uh, the right side of things, uh, because he uh, he can't hit. And maybe Oakland can fix that, or maybe uh, he's learned something to swing this off season that he can hit a little bit better, but. He's definitely worth it if he's going to be a Kevin Kiermaier type guy. I just would have preferred the Drew Waters. I just prefer him a little bit more. But I love this deal for Oakland. It's awesome. On the Braves side of things, I think what I think happened here, you know, you said you would expect the Freddie Freeman deal to come first. I kind of wonder if the A's gave the Braves an ultimatum. And when they were talking, whatever, you know, you don't know how these talks go down. I wonder they said, if they asked, hey, uh, either you make this deal now or we're going to send them to New York or we're going to send them to uh, wherever else the interest might be and we're not, we're not going to interest you again. So I think they may have pushed the button a little bit on Atlanta because maybe why Atlanta also jumped the gun because if they hang up that phone call, they may lose Freeman and may strike out on Olsen, and that would would have not been good at all for the Braves. So I kind of think they may have gotten an ultimatum from the A's front office on, like, you got to make the decision now if you want Matt Olsen because we would rather – not saying the A's would rather trade him to the Braves than the Yankees, but they probably would. But uh, I love this to replace Freddie Freeman. You're not going to replace a franchise first baseman and Freddie Freeman, but to replace Freddie Freeman with a first baseman that's – Four, to, four years younger than him, and two years of control left. He's an eight Atlanta boy, and you're probably going to extend him, and he's going to be long-term there. I love this. But this also kind of reminds me of when Albert Pujols left the, the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, you thought he was coming back. You thought Freddie Freeman was coming back to Atlanta. It just didn't work out. And we had to roll with Matt Adams. So um, I've loved this for Atlanta because you get someone just almost – like Freddie Freeman and he's younger. I'm not saying he's better than Freddie Freeman, but it's definitely the right replacement you want definitely to replace someone like Freddie Freeman. And I saw a stat today that Matt Olson had 22 home runs in 2021 against left-handed hit pitching. 
which is the most home runs ever by a left-handed hitter against left-handed pitching one year, beating out Barry Bonds in his record season. That's awesome. So that's, you know, keeps the balance in that lineup too. He's not mm-hmm. going to be, you know, pretty much a little bit worse against lefties. Mendelssohn doesn't have that trouble. He'll be just fine. And it's going to be interesting to see what Oakland does. They came into the offseason having a pretty bad farm system. Uh, they've already improved that pretty good. Yes. So far. But you still have Sean Manaya, you have Frankie Montas, Matt Chapman, Sean Murphy, Elvis Andrews. Depending on how many of these guys they trade, you could really flip that system upside down. It's just one thing to say about Oakland is they don't really go through rebuilding cycles. They're pretty quick to keep getting back on their feet. And I think this is kind of another example of that. And one last year we're going to mention, this one was quite the shocker, at least to me. Yes. Uh, the Reds traded Jesse Winker and A. Hino Suarez to the Mariners for pitchers Brandon Williamson, a lefty, uh, right-handed pitcher Justin Dunn, outfielder Jake Fraley, and then a player to be named later. Uh, Brandon Williamson plus is their fourth-best uh, prospect for the Reds, which bumped Chase Petty down to five. And it, rumor has it, the Reds are pretty high on the player to be named later, which confuses me how that works. And why not just say him now? Right. If you're if you're pretty high on him, because there hasn't been a draft recently, so nothing is running a guy from being traded, especially if it's a minor league guy. I guess unless it's some sort of international deal, but that's interesting to me that they're high on him but can't announce him. What were your thoughts on this trade? Yeah, um, I think it was kind of shocking. I mean, definitely you you didn't hear Jesse Winker's name all offseason about, hey, he's on the block. I think, honestly, I mean, I know they wanted to unload Suarez's contract, but I think, honestly, um, if they would have kind of put it more out there that, hey, Winker's on the block, I think they could have got a better deal out of it prospect-wise. But obviously it looks like they wanted to unload the Suarez contract more, which is kind of whatever. Um, personally, I'm glad J.C. Winker's out of my division. Um, but um, I think he fits right in great with Seattle. It is interesting, though, because now this does potentially block uh, Jose Rodriguez, Jose Julio Rodriguez in the outfield, because now you have Hanniger, Winker, and Ke- uh, Kellenic. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, but, you know, you could still bring Rodriguez uh, up and maybe play him with the DH. But it is kind of interesting. Um, I like this move for Seattle. that They're in win mode now. And uh, it's awesome. Uh, Fraley, uh, okay, getting back. Um, and uh, Justin Dunn, yeah. Brandon Williamson, big left-hander. I like Brandon Williamson. Uh, kind of – kind of overshadowed a little bit in the Mariner system, but that's just because the Mariner system is very deep, but he is a nice left-hander and I think he'll fit right in great with the Reds. I just hope he Reds kind of struggle with that development on the pitching side, but I hope it's one definitely one I could see working out more so than Chase Petty. Williamson, big left-hander. There's a nice movement on for some different pitches. And I like, I like it for Brandon Williamson. And like you said, the player to be nailing later is interesting. I kind of wonder if it's uh, somebody they drafted uh, this uh, past year. Um, but they'd be eligible, like Chase Petty. That's, uh, uh, that's true. Th- that was my first thought, but then Chase Petty was traded, so that's clearly not uh, an issue. 
it's just interesting. I, I mean, hopefully it's a decent name that it is, but I don't know. It's just, it's interesting, but I like this. Uh, I like this for the Mariners. Mariners are looking really good. I still think the Mariners need a rotation arm though, if we're talking about the Seattle Mariners, but that's a story for a different day, but I still think they need some rotation help. Yeah. It's an interesting trade. Uh, because I think everybody thinks the Mariners want it. Because they got Winker and Suarez. If he somehow bounces back, it's another great piece for them. Yeah, an interesting thing. If you use the website MLB trade values, it kind of uses like calculation of player value, which includes like the money owed, projection of prospects. Its algorithm actually rejects the trade as being too lopsided in the Reds' favor. And that's even before the player to be named. Most of the thing because of Brandon Williamson, how much they value him, and the fact that Jesse Winker doesn't play defense. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think it'll block the path of Julio Rodriguez. I, I'm guessing he'll just hop into the outfield and Winker will DH. I don't think you, that was the big thing with their DH to the National League is Winker could DH for the Reds. So it's easy. You don't want right. the field. That's fair. But it's an interesting last trade we got there. We'll talk more about MLB as we get closer to the start of the year. One last MLB note. Uh, apparently, Fernando Tatis Jr. fractured his wrist in a motorcycle accident this offseason. Uh, he could be out up to three months, which is pretty big. And when he was asked about it, he said, which one in regards to the accident, which doesn't seem like a great sign. But this is why you'll, oftentimes you'll see things like motorcycling outlawing contracts. It's not fun, it's not sexy, but this is why. Because uh, it, it can be dangerous, and you don't want players missing time like this. Any thoughts on Tatis and how this can affect the Padres? Yeah, um, I think you should get the surgery. I'm I'm kind of mad at him personally a little bit because he wants to hold. He the Padres has said he should get the surgery, and he's getting a second opinion because he wants to get to the field sooner. But he's trying to do that before different injuries, and he just gets a, ends up getting hurt again. I know he wants to be out there with with his team. I know he wants to help them win, but do it when you can come back 100 percent and be fully healthy. Get get back 100 percent. It'll be well worth it. I wish he would just get the surgery and decide on that now. I, I kind of wonder if this would have been different if we didn't have a lockout. I it could be could be because he, he couldn't could. talk to the team for the last. That is three true. Months. That is true. So let's say this happened back in January. So you go right to the men. Maybe it's different. But that's all the MLB for today. We're going to quick run through some, some NFL stuff and then wrap up. Uh, so some trades have happened in the NFL. Uh, the first one, uh, Amari Cooper and a sixth pick from the uh, sixth round pick from the Cowboys went to the Browns for a fifth and a sixth round pick. Um, I think this is a great move for the Browns. Amari Cooper is a really good wide receiver. Browns have a huge hole there, and they didn't give him much to get him. Basically, it's just like they paid so that way the Cowboys wouldn't straight release him and they'd have to fight for him. Uh, I, I think Amari Cooper's a guy, Gersh, that you were interested in for your Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, he's talked to the Browns. Yeah, I liked, I would have liked Amari Cooper uh, for the Chiefs. But this actually kind of. With him going to Cleveland, it kind of opened a door for us with Jarvis Landry because now Jarvis Landry got released from the Browns, and I I, th- I think that's a great option for the Chiefs now. But I love Amari Cooper going to Cleveland gives them another great option on that wide receiver front. 
And it's going to be interesting to see who our Mari Cooper is going to be catching touchdown balls from, if it is going to be Baker Mayfield or not. We'll find out soon. Yeah. Speaking of catching footballs and throwing footballs, uh, Russell Wilson was traded this week. The Broncos got their quarterback, but I don't think it's the quarterback many of us thought. I think many of us thought it might be Aaron Rodgers. But the Broncos traded Drew Locke, quarterback, uh, tight end Noah Fant, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a fifth-round pick for Russell Wilson and a fourth-round pick. Uh, this is – it's interesting. The It's definitely the end of an era in Seattle. Uh, getting rid of Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner on the same day. Bobby Wagner was released. That's quite yeah. the uh, transition. Yeah, it's uh, Seattle is definitely full rebuilt. Kind of interesting that Pete Carroll's still there going through this. But I think that's just because Seattle, I mean, Pete Carroll loves football. So uh, Seattle in full rebuild, but they could maybe potentially get a Deshaun Watson and kind of try to revamp some things back up. But they've also talked about moving Tyler Lockett, so who knows there. Uh, Russell Wilson to Denver, though, love the move for the Broncos. And I'll say this, it sucks that they had to give up Noah Fant. It really does. I really love Noah Fant. He's a top five, going to be a top five tight end in the league, in the NFL one day, maybe even top three. Uh, but I love the Broncos got to keep Jerry Judy, and now he has Russ Wilson to catch balls from. I mean, this is awesome. Uh, they have a young running back back there in Williams too. This, this is a, a new head coach. This is a great potent offense and a very loaded division, and this is going to be a fun division to watch this upcoming season. Russell Wilson, though, Love that he's getting another shot elsewhere. Obviously, it's the end of an era with him in Seattle. But this is a nice place to go with a great storied history. And uh, they always put great players around you to try to help you win. Great franchise going to the Denver Broncos for Russell Wilson. Yeah, and we talked about a possible Aaron Rodgers deal. How they might have to give up like a Portland Sutton, a Jerry Judy, something like that. Um, but they didn't in this deal. Noah Fant was the biggest kind of player. But I think they're pretty high on their other tight end, Albert O. I'm not going to say his last name because it's really long. Yeah, big O from Mizzou. Yeah. Uh, so if they're comfortable with that, then I think that's a clear win for the Broncos. They've always kind of been a good team, but haven't had a quarterback since Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good trade for them. And it helps Seattle on their rebuild. I don't know if they'll take a quarterback this year next year. Uh, or if they're just going to roll through lock for a year to kind of cover the gap. But it's kind of sad as a Seahawks fan. Kind of trading your franchise icon there. Unfortunate. Uh, under another trade, the Colts traded away Carson Wentz to the Washington Commanders, which is going to take some getting used to. Uh, and the Commanders traded back two third-round picks. Um, Carson Wentz can be both very good but incredibly frustrating. He throws some of the oddest passes you can imagine, then backs up with a really great throw. So I don't know if he's an option to take the commander to the next level. Um, but they're at least going for it, and they didn't give up too much to get him. So I think it's worth a shot there at least. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I like this move for the commanders. I mean, yeah, because uh, they've maybe gotten someone better, uh, sure. But I think this is uh... – a good move, and they're trying to compete. I love seeing them trying to compete. I mean, I think they're tired of this this losing stuff. Uh, I think they've got a decent little squad going on. Um, 
and they could be in a great place with Carson Wentz, and maybe, maybe, maybe this is this this is the team that Carson Wentz um, kind of finds his from uh, his uh, comfortability with ever since he's left the Eagles, because I don't think he really ever got that got that comfort in Indy, even though you know, but he was also you know not healthy also. So maybe uh, he can stay healthy in Washington, and I mean he is. He's, he does got a good wide right, right receiver there in Terry McLaurin. So uh, I like this move for the Commanders, and um, hopefully they'll be able to compete in that division. And then moving on to our final trade that we're going to come on to episode, the Chicago Bears trade Cleo Mack to the Los Angeles Chargers for a twenty twenty two second-round pick and a 2023 sixth-round pick. I remember just a few years ago when Mack was going to Chicago for a couple of firsts, it was a huge deal. Didn't end up winning anything there. Didn't even really get close. And now they've already moved on. Phil uh, Mack, I think, is 31. Obviously not the play he might have been in his prime, but a line with both on one side and Phil Mack on the other is going to be pretty terrifying for opposing offensive lines. I, I know Gershie's in your division now, so you get to once again deal with Phil Mack twice a year. Yeah. Uh, I don't like Lil Mack being back or not being back or being in this division. I guess being back in the division, actually. Uh, so, uh, about being on the same team with Joey Bosa, that is just scary. Uh, uh, the Chargers are looking scary. I love this deal for them. Um they're taking advantage of Justin Herbert on his rookie contract, but also they're trying to win. And I mean, really, they might be the best team in the division. I mean, they may not have the best quarterback in the division, but they may have the best put together squad in the division. And it's definitely uh, going to be scary to see. And I think this it could be a 13, 13, 12 win club uh, when, we, when we get down to it in September. Yeah. It's- and it's cool to see teams go for it. You don't see trades as often in the NFL, but it's fun when teams do, and Chargers are definitely going for it. Like you said, on Herbert's rookie contract, I wish more teams did that because it's really hard when your quarterback's making 30-plus million. But bringing us on to our final two NFL tidbits of the day, both of them are quarterbacks returning to their teams. Uh, the first one is Aaron Rodgers back to the Packers. We don't know the terms uh, to this. It's reported for four years, $200 million. But then Aaron Rodgers came out to the that's not true. Um, he's under contract this year regardless, so he could just be playing on his contract and then going from there. Um, but yeah, I think they also franchise-tagged uh, Devontae Adams, so he's back. So they're going to run that back. And I think, once again, the Packers are going to be pretty easily the favorites in the NFC North. I don't think they're really going to be challenged much. But it kind of ends up speculation of where Aaron Rodgers is going to go. Yeah, I, I like that he's returned to Green Bay ever since he's been with Matt LaFleur. It's been a match made in heaven there. Definitely, it's I would definitely wouldn't put it on Matt LaFleur, but definitely I think they need to make a farther postseason push this year. But I mean, when you're like 39 and nine or 
39 and nine or 36 and eight, whatever you are in your first three years of coaching. I mean, that's, you're doing something right. Just need, I think they just need to get a little further in the postseason. They can obviously do that. It's just, they've just ran into some unfortunate events the last few years in the playoffs and they just gotten taken out. So uh, hopefully uh, getting Devontae Adams back is huge for the Packers and getting uh, Aaron Rodgers back for at least right now, one more year until we know more about that contract is awesome for the Packers and Packers fans. For sure, the Jordan Love era is once again on hold. Speaking of eras being on hold, uh, the Kyle Prask era in Tampa Bay is not starting quite yet. Or the Jimmy G era. Or the Jimmy G era. (laughs) Tom Brady's back, which I don't think it surprises people per se with how murky his retirement was. It was reported he was. He said he wasn't. Then he was. Then he still had a great year last year. But he's back. Um, I, I think it instantly puts the Buccaneers to their favorites in the NFC South. But I think that's more so because the division's bad. I think the Buccaneers are finally going to lose some pieces from that team. Even though they franchise take Godwin, so he's back. But he tore his ACL, so I don't know how good he's going to be. Uh, but you can run bad Godwin, Evans. Yeah, I, I got us some Gronk's going to try and go back. Because, you know, Brady. But, yeah, yeah the, the goat is back. Yeah, he's back. It's, uh, you know, I wondered if he didn't have the year that he had. I mean, he had a hell of a year for being the age he was and threw for four over 4,000 yards. Uh, I think for the year he had, it, it's kind of why he came back. But also you said he, it sounded like he was kind of on the fence. You know, I, I, I'm retiring. No, I'm not. Yeah, I am. But also, I don't think if he had the year he had, he would be coming back per se. I think if he was more in that like where he was in his last year in New England where he really struggled, that maybe this he would have hung it up. But I feel like he thinks he can still do it, and I don't blame him. I mean, I think he can too with the year he had. Now he's got Godwin coming back. More than likely going to have Gronk coming back since Tom's back. Um, and it's – I think it's – they're not going to be able to return some other pieces on that defense or that maybe that line. But I'm kind of interested to see um, how they do if someone comes to the division, like maybe if Deshaun Watson goes to Carolina or uh, – New Orleans. Um, I'm kind of interested to see how that would shape out, but I still think with Tom back, the the Bucks are the clear favorite in that division now. But it'd still be interesting to see if the if the Saints or Panthers can pull off a trade, what they can do with with Watson, and maybe they can challenge uh, Tom Brady for that division. Hopefully, yeah, it's be interesting to see what each of these teams do to surround their quarterback coming back. You know, do the Packers finally draft a receiver in the first round? You know, do the Buccaneers bring back everybody, try to, what's going to happen? But that's the end of NFL for today. Uh, we've already kind of ran long, so I think we're going to wrap it up here. And just to give a sneak peek, this will not be the only podcast from us coming out before Sunday. Uh, there's a little something called the NCAA tournament coming out. And I think sometime later this week, Gersh and I are going to pop in, do a special one. I'll let him talk a little bit more about that as he closes us out here. Yeah, uh, we'll have a special episode coming up 
talking about the NCAA. Obviously, the first four is going to be happening uh, probably before we do that, which is fine. But we're going to talk about uh, the NCAA tournament. Some of the some of the people we feel got disrespected, maybe should have been in. Some people that maybe were too high, or some people that were in the tournament that was too low. Uh, some matchups we didn't like the committee put together, that type of thing. Um, who our favorites are, uh, that type of thing. Um, maybe see who our final four is and compare it to each other and see who we have winning the national championship. I think it's going to be a great tournament as it is always. Um, it's uh, going to be very interesting. The road to New Orleans, that's where it ends this year. But uh, I think it's going to be a great tournament as always. Glad we're having it again this year. With probably uh, this year a lot, pretty much no restrictions in most places. So that's really exciting. You know, it's kind of back to the full experience. But yeah, uh, we'll have that episode coming out before uh, force next Sunday. So uh, look look forward to it. Um, but I think we're gonna wrap it up here. It's been great as always. Another episode of the finalist. So I'm your host Jim Gersh uh, and. Uh, for my co-host Kyle Weinmeyer, this has been another episode of The Final Whistle.